0: As Chad said, my name is Janiel, used to be Janiel Clifford, Tom and Heather are my parents, my brother John you can often find back there in the sound booth. So I grew up here, I have a lot of firsts here in this sanctuary. Um, for example, um, I'm going to ask someone to, to stand up, I, I asked you earlier if you could stand up and come over here to the stage. Please do come. But I'm going to tell you a story of when I was about six or seven years old. I was in this very um, sanctuary, and I was a loud kid. I was a trouble kid. You know those troubled ones that your parents, the parents are elbowing to be quiet? That was me. And uh, the offering was going around, and I yelled out to my dad, Don't they have enough money yet? (laughs) And although the people around me were laughing, my parents, the look on their faces told a different story. But this, this lovely lady, I passed her when I first came in. And when we talk about spiritual mothers, this is one. She doesn't even know it. I remember I was sitting in kind of the front, and I didn't really like service very much. I was probably around 9 or 10 years old. And um, in my Bible, I had an Archie comic hidden inside. I I felt like this was the best way to get through the service. And so I had my Archie comic in my Bible and I thought I was doing well. My parents didn't even notice. But after the service, you came up to me and you said that that's God's word and that I should do better. So you might not remember that story, but when I saw you back there, I just wanted to say thanks. You know what? We have a huge cross-section of people here. Every generation matters, and thanks for calling me out on that. So I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you this morning. So as a kid, as a kid, I was inquisitive, I was loud, and I was opinionated. And that's probably some of the reasons I'm up here this morning. And, and you know what? I'm a teacher by trade, I'll, I'll tell you that. And usually when I'm speaking to students, I get my firm look, um, I, I have a confident voice, I try to tell a good story and have a fun activity, but the problem is you're not under the age of 16, some of you. And the truth is that many of you have a better story to tell than me. Different, thank you for correcting. You know what, Um, my story is simple. Um, It's not a wow story, but it's my story. And it has to do with something that happened to me when I was 22 years old where God rocked me and finally reminded me where my worth comes from. So my whole talk is on one word, worth. Good preachers, they have a three-point sermon. I can't even remember the, after the first point usually, so I'm just going to stick to one word if that's okay with you, the word worth. So, so, I'm going to start off by saying I'm a, a stay-at-home mom, used to be a teacher, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I've become the world's biggest bargain shopper. Do I have any other bargain shoppers in the... Thank you. Like, no, I'm, I'm not joking. I love going to Goodwill and finding, like, a good deal. I'm not joking. I, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to admit that to you. Yep. And I'm that person like, this purse is from Goodwill. And someone comes up to me and says, wow, I like your purse. I'm like, Goodwill, it's Goodwill. So I love finding a good deal. I love finding a good deal. And I I think some of you can relate to this scenario. You walk into a store and you pick up what you need. You go to the cashier and they ask for an amount that is way less than you expected. Okay, and the best commercial I've ever seen that captures that moment is an IKEA commercial. We're gonna cue that up. Ready, here we go. Here's your seat, have a nice day. Thank you.
1: Ikea winter sale get up to 50% off select items now through January 10th Ikea
0: I didn't really mean to have a plug for Ikea this morning they did not pay me for that but you know what if I'm I'm from Niagara I now live in Niagara on the lake there are outlet malls there I love Goodwill but I love the outlets and if I'm with my friends I will say like I'll shop and I'll get a good deal and I'll say that was an Ikea moment That was a start-the-car moment, and they look at me kind of funny, not knowing what I'm talking about. But what I'm trying to get across is the idea of a good deal. A good deal is usually when you pay less for something than you think it's worth. You see, you care about worth, the word worth, and here's an example. Is that chocolate cake worth the calories and exercise, exercise needed to work it off? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I have some feelings to prove that. Um, Is that difficult friendship worth fixing? Uh, Are those devotions worth getting up 20 minutes early? Is prayer even worthwhile? Is my job worth the sweat and tears it, it takes to be successful? These are some things that cross our minds. I would like to suggest to you that you think about whether something is worthy, you evaluate things every minute, or at least once in an hour. But here's the big question, how much are you worth? How much are you worth? Some of you, some of you are gonna go to the financial end of things. You're gonna total up your assets, you're gonna think about your financial portfolio, and you're gonna come up with a number of how much you're worth. But what if I wasn't asking you how much you are monetarily worth? What if I was asking you about your self-worth? What if I was asking you where you find your value? And that's kind of where my story uh, begins. Um, I grew up in Stratford, Ontario. I went to a small Christian school called Jubilee. I then went to Central, eventually went to Northwestern. I switched because of sports, that's my confession. Both great schools. And um, I grew up in a really good family. My parents and I and John spent a lot of time together. My dad uh, was the person I was with most often. I was a bit of a tomboy, a big tomboy. And my dad drove me from baseball field to baseball field or from basketball court to basketball court because I love sports. My dad even put on his coaching hat many times so that I would grow and develop. My my best memories actually though involve my dad taking me to an ice cream shop on Mornington Street where we would celebrate whether I won or I lost, whether I played poorly or well. We always finished with an ice cream It was good bribery, Dad, thank you. But I was loved by my dad and equally loved by my mom. But my mom loved me in a different way. She loved me because she let me play. And I'll explain. (laughs) I'm going to give you a synopsis of my mom, Heather Clifford. She sings like an angel. She plays piano. She loves reading. And in God's infinite wisdom, God gave her a little girl that couldn't be more different than her. And I'm going to give you an example, a visual. I'm going to give you a visual, okay, here's visual number one. This is what I would have chosen to wear on a daily basis. Tomboyish, yes. And this is the kind of thing that my mom would have encouraged. (laughs) Actually, in my mom's defense, Doreen Kritz back there, she bought this from, for me when my mom was in the hospital. But this kind of shows you the different worlds that we were facing. Little house in the prairie, soccer. So when you, you can imagine it was a test of wills. You see, I remember sitting down at the piano, and my mom might, might have had a wooden spoon in hand. And she would tell me to play. And I'd be like staring out the window wondering when this torture would be over. (laughs) And you know what? Ultimately it usually ended in the statement, play or face the consequences. (laughs) But you know what? My mom was great. She decided to put aside her dreams of making me become a piano playing, figure skating, princess with that crazy pink dress on and instead she let me play and you know what not only did she let me play she was like my biggest cheerleaders at the games basketball games baseball games she would she was right in there so I want to say thank you for that mom on Mother's Day I'm trying to tell you that I had a good life no major problems but here's my big secret here's my big secret Because I was such a tomboy, because I was so different than the rest of the little girls, I hated myself. See when I looked in the mirror, I saw a mistake. I hated what I looked like. I felt like I had the wrong body. (laughs) You see, I totally believed in God. I believed that God hung the stars in place but I often wondered why God couldn't have made me a little bit more like the other girls. So, my life was framed around the idea that I didn't feel very worthy. No one would have known, I looked like a happy kid, but I hated who I was. But being a problem solver, I decided to come up with a solution. I decided that I would find my worth by succeeding. And so I did. Sort of. Sort of an amen. So uh, in high school I became the, the queen of winning. You see, every medal that went around my neck wasn't just proof that I was athletic, which I was. It made me feel worthy. It made me feel like I was valuable. And you know what? This formula for winning worked really well, all the way into university. Where I went to Brock University, I majored in history and phys ed, but it should have said that I majored in basketball. I stayed an extra year at university just so that I could play basketball for the Brock Badgers for another year. I was totally all in for sports. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem. I made very little time for God. You see, I believed God was real, I believed that he loved me, but I didn't make any time for him. I was too busy. I had checklists, I had goals, I had grades, I had baskets to score. I didn't make very much time for God. And this seemed to go well for me until one summer night in 2001. My brother John and I... Um, In early August, we headed to Kingdom Bound. Has anyone ever gone to Kingdom Bound? Yes? Great place. Highly recommend. There's another commercial. Um, I recommend you going to Kingdom Bound. It's a a place where Christian artists, musicians, speakers, lots of Christian paraphernalia, like shirts, Bibles. It's a great place to go. And I remember... um, standing in the worship service on the Saturday evening, and I had my hands raised like a good Pentecostal girl. And I I uttered seven simple words. I said, God, I want to know you more. Be careful what you ask for. So, from that moment on, God and I had this intense conversation in my head. You know when you know the Holy Spirit is talking to you? Here's what happened. This is going to be me. And this is going to be God speaking in my head. So I have my hands raised, God, I want to know you more. God's response, Janiel, do you really want to know me more? Yes. Janiel, what do you love most? Yes, I know the Sunday school answer, Jesus. That one works. I love Jesus most. No, Janiel, what do you really love most? Crap. Oh, I love. I love being an athlete. I love being known as a Brock Badger and a scorer. I love being known by the emblem on my jersey. God's response, Janelle, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God, and I don't want you to have anything above me. Crap. <laughs> I want you to be number one. Then Janelle. Put your life in order. Make me number one. Janelle, I want you to quit basketball. Oh. You see, I was going into my fourth year of university. I don't quit things. I was going to be the captain of the team. This is what I would worked for. And you know what? That conversation with God was the best and worst conversation I've ever had. The God of the universe took time out of his busy schedule to have a moment with me, and that was awesome. But I did not like what he had to say. And right away, I was questioning. I'm like, God, are you trying to punish me? Are you trying to take away what I love? But I realized that God wasn't trying to punish me. He was encouraging me to lean into the very relationship I should have loved most. I was bawling. My brother like pulled me aside, John, and he's like what is wrong with you? And once I started breathing again, I told him the story I just told you. And he's like, don't do anything drastic. You must be tired or ate something wrong. Don't do anything drastic. He's like, sleep on it, sleep on it. So I slept on it. And I woke up eat. Equally convinced that God had just spoke to me, and he was asking me to put my life in order So I went into major negotiation mode. I was like, you know, I tested God. It says in the Bible that people tested God sometimes, so I, I decided to try my hand at testing God and I, and I said this kind of prayer, God, I will quit basketball only if you bring something else for me to do. And no word of a lie, like a minute later, the phone rang. And it was my friend, Nathan Farr, and he, and he was the president of Brock Christian Fellowship, the, Brock, the Christian organization on campus. And he said, Janiel, we just had a meeting and we're looking for small group leaders and your name came to mind, so we're not sure you'd have enough time, but maybe maybe you should be a small group leader. Thanks for the offer. I'll talk, I'll get back to you. And I hung up the phone. A few days later, I went to turn on the TV to take my mind off this difficult uh, decision I had to make. And there, of course, when I turned on the TV, there was like a preacher saying, Give up whatever's stopping you from getting close to God. So I obviously turned off the TV as quickly as I could. (laughs) And there were so many examples of, of my negotiation with God not going well for me. So finally, after about two weeks, I found myself sprawled out on my living room floor. And I said, God, I surrender all. You guys know the hymn, I surrender. I'm not going to sing, we'll leave that to them. <laughs> God, I surrender all. And that's the first time in my life at age 22 that I actually meant it grew up in a Christian family, loved God, but I never gave God the driver's seat of my life. At age 22, I decided to do that, and life changed for me. I walked into my coach's office, Chris Curtelli, told her that I was quitting basketball. What did she ask? Why? And I told her why, that I felt like God was pushing me in a different direction. She took it really well, and so did my teammates. And it was at that moment that a a weight lifted off my shoulder. You see, I'd spent 22 years trying to earn my own worth. Trying to earn my own value. I had grown up with the Bible in hand. I had read Psalm 139 that talks about that we are fearfully and wonderfully made that God knit me together in my mother's womb, and that I knew that being a child of God was enough, that I didn't have to earn my worth, that I didn't have to earn my value. It didn't matter how many baskets I scored in a game. It didn't matter who, what friends I had, simply being a child of God was enough. And once I realized that my life changed, Soon after, Roger Croker came along, who I later married. And you know what? God let me go go back to basketball later that year. I did take a few months off, and um, I won't tell you the long story of how he allowed me to go back to basketball, but I was now playing the game of basketball simply because I loved it, not because I had to in order to feel worthy. And I'd like to say that I've learned my lesson. I would like to stand here and say that I find my value from Christ alone, but I'm a dumb sheep. (laughs) The Bible refers to us that we're sheep that have gone astray. I am 38 years old and I'm a dumb sheep. You know what, I'm a stay-at-home mom and for some reason, like wiping bums, doing laundry, going to the grocery store time and time again, making meals that my kids don't even like before they even try it. This stage of my life doesn't always leave me feeling super fulfilled. And so I find myself sneaking back into the habit of trying to find my worth in like baking a good cake, doing some good community service, You know, I'll find my worth if I'm a good person. But, you know what? My simple message to you this morning is that I'm encouraging you to remember that your worth is found in Christ alone. I don't know what your life, I don't know what life has dealt you. I don't know if you're happy or you're discouraged. But can I remind you that you are God's masterpiece designed perfectly for his plans. So I'm going to finish off by showing you one of my favorite YouTube clips. I help, I help with junior youth at my church. I love kids. And I came across this poet that I really love, and his main message is that you are God's masterpiece, and I hope that resonates with you this morning. Hey, thanks for hearing my story.
1: came up to me the other night, right? And he was like, who's your favorite artist? And like most people do when they ask a question, he didn't really care about my answer and proceeded to tell me what he thought the true answer was. And he continued about his struggle to recognize who he said was the greatest of all time. He said, I mean, is it Shakespeare? Is it Frost, Picasso, Michelangelo? Is it the Beatles, Rembrandt, Michael Jackson, Beethoven? And he went on and on and on about who he thought was the greatest, not recognizing even his infrastructure to answer that question was misled and outdated and so finally I kindly smiled and said okay sir you asked me who is the greatest of all time now you tried to share yours so let me share mine because there's no debate about who is the greatest because all those other artists you mentioned yeah the greatest made them and see this artist he's a beast a lion the name above names you don't even realize it but you encounter his art every day and he deserves all of the acclaim he deserves all of the fame because all other artists pass away but he remains. Oh, by the way, his name is God, Yahweh, creator, your maker. He's infinitely creative, sir. There is no one greater, and and I can tell it looks like you're starting to get mad at me, but don't be jealous just because your favorite artist might bend words, and my favorite artist bends galaxies. See, in the palm of his hand, he holds all the sand, the author of life, when he whispered, let us make man. See, what if I told you that you are God's poetry? You were created because someone else was creative. See, long ago, he picked up his eternal paintbrush, dipped it in his glory, placed us in his story, and said, they will live for me. And I know it sounds outlandish, but we're not the product of random chances. And in fact, we're not even the vine. We're actually the branches. In the same way, we're not the artist. We're actually the canvas. Because in an instant, God started to make art, shaped you uniquely and beautiful, individual from the start. And he touched the canvas of flesh, And said this one is better than the rest i'll give them so much of my image so even when they're hot off the press you can still see the steam of my breath and so he crafted and he made every arm and leg ligaments tendons muscles blood vessels veins arteries he said they're gonna have a part of me And about that time, the guy butted back in and said, that sounds good and all, but I'm wretched and filthy. God won't use me. Will he? And I said, ah, see, that's what's awesome about God. No matter what we've done, he can still use us. Even though other artists, once they have broken equipment, they start to make excuses. God instead doesn't refuse us, and neither does he accuse us. He redeems us, in Jesus promises never to lose us. So stop saying that you're dirt. Stop saying you're scum of the earth. You ought to be careful about how you talk about someone else's work. Because if we've trusted in Jesus, we can stop saying we're filthy. I mean, all that is anyways is just pride clothed in false humility. I mean, if we only believed that we're truthfully created in His likeness, then we'd stop saying we're wretched, filthy, shameful, guilty, but instead knowing if we've trusted Jesus, we're righteous. I mean, don't you see we're drawn to repentance because of His kindness? So how dare you call yourself worthless when He says you're priceless but see the best part is since God is ultimately for God he'll get glory out of you whether you like it or not because even temple ruins point to an architect even if the temple is shot and all I'm saying is that he's behind it all so why do we insist on giving him no credit at all I mean, he's the one that gave Van Gogh the imagination that changed the face of painting. Tell me, who else is responsible for Mozart being able to compose at age five without formal training? See, he made the fingers that Beethoven used to make art on the keys. For Pete's he made Stevie Wonder, one of the best musicians of our time, and he couldn't even see. And that's why, in the same way that our lives are borrowed time, this poem is borrowed lines, because the most ridiculous statement we could ever say is that this poem is mine, because we're not self-sustaining. No, we're not self-sustaining creating technically nothing we do is original we're just imitating and that's not a diss all I'm trying to say is this even our own creativity is nothing more than an outflow of his and so I'll end with this you know that quote about giving credit where credit is due well if that's true it's about time we give God his rightful credit too because he's a God in the business of making old things new and here's the truth he's not through with making a masterpiece of you